Let's pray, shall we, before we're seated. Father, as we look into your word, use it well to transform our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Jan. Good morning. Greetings from uh, my wife, Charm, who is uh, every bit as lovely as my 92-year-old mother. (laughs) She's out in Phoenix. Uh, We've been doing the snowbird thing. Uh, First time, because uh, although I retired uh, six years ago uh, from North Shore Community Church in Bothell, I went to work for my son, my oldest son, who pastors uh, our first daughter church, Uh, which was planted 20 years ago in Monroe, Washington, and has grown to about 1,500 and has planted uh, eight daughter churches already in 20 years. And uh, it's been a remarkable thing to work for him part-time. I don't recommend it. Um, It's it's rather humiliating to have to ask your son for a day off, you know. Amazing. Um, hey, if um, if I sniffle a little bit into the mic, um, first time in my life I found out I have an allergy, and uh, of all things, it's to uh, orange blossoms. And uh, while we were in Phoenix uh, the last three weeks um, in our RV. Uh, trying to uh, soak up some sun, uh, the orange blossoms bloomed, and so did my sinuses, and it was uh, kind of amazing. It, being up here, it's uh, letting go of me a little bit, so uh, I uh, basically uh, appreciate your patience with me. You are a remarkable church. Uh, I, I sensed that and saw that, felt that when I was here last fall. Having been with your men at men's retreat Friday night and and, uh, all day yesterday, um, really confirmed in in my heart the fact that uh, this is an exceptional church. I think one of the reasons, of course, is because one of the main reasons is because you have an exceptional pastor. Um, Van is, uh, last time I saw him before last fall was at my wedding. And I think he was like five or six years old at the time. His dad, Uncle Gene, um, gave the message at at, uh, my wedding. Uh, I tried, I had five uncles who were pastors, and I tried to work them all into our wedding ceremony. (laughs) It was a a traffic jam, let me tell you. Um, But he gave the message, and uh, Van was there, and it was kind of cool. But... We live on opposite sides of the country. You know, our ministries took us in in, uh, different circles. And and yet, God brought us back in His providence and in His will at this time. And uh, when I saw Him at work and when I've talked to Him on the phone, and we've we've just had sweet fellowship, rich fellowship together, and I realized that He is the real deal. He's a full-meal leader. He not only has leadership gifts, he has an astonishing speaking gift. And third, he loves his people. He's a shepherd. And uh, that is that mix. You know, usually in a pastor you get one of those. Maybe two. 
But in his case, uh, you, you get all three, and, and uh, so it's a very balanced leadership. And uh, you're very fortunate and blessed, and uh, treasure him. Um, take good care of him. All right, I'm going to take you to a passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians. Before we go there, however, let me just say this message might scare you a little bit. Um, I'm, go- I'm going to stretch the categories. I'm, I'm not going to beat up on you. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, yell and get red in the face and spit and all of that. That's not going to happen. But I am going to challenge you at the very core of the transformation process. So um, prepare to be a little bit uncomfortable and maybe a little apprehensive as, uh, as you listen to this. Every idea I'm going to give you comes directly from God's Word, and I'm trusting that God's Spirit will take it to your heart where it's needed, all right? So 2 Corinthians chapter 3, this is a passage, this is a, a chapter that is... Um, about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Testament and the New Testament. Paul is explaining why we have transitioned from the era of the law and uh, the Old Testament history to the New Testament, the New Covenant that is in Jesus Christ. You'll hear that as we go now. Verse 7, 2 Corinthians 3, 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, the law, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness in Jesus? For what was, what was glorious in the past has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, the old covenant... How much greater is the glory of that which lasts, the new covenant? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds, and now there's a parenthesis in the text, he started a topic, and he kind, of, he kind of takes a little rabbit trail. He says, but to their, mind, their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, the law, a veil covers their hearts. In other words, there is a particular difficulty for Jewish people as they hear about a new covenant. Because they are locked onto the Old Covenant, to the Law of Moses. And it, it's really hard for them to make the jump to a New Covenant in Christ. But, and this is a wonderful but, verse 6, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter. 
Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the freedom here is the freedom to be transformed. The freedom to, re, to reflect the radiance of Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 18. All right? Wonder, one of the best verses, most wonderful verses in the New Testament. And we, you and I, fellow believers in Christ, we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness as a process, very vivid in the Greek language. We are being constantly, as a process, transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Verse 1 of the next chapter. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, this ministry of being transformed, being changed in front of our world, we do not lose heart. See, when your life is changing and you're becoming like Jesus Christ, you grow in confidence, in boldness. You don't lose heart because the miracles that are going on in you, you, you are being transformed. And you see it yourself, you feel it yourself, and other people remark at it and say, you're changing. <laughs> so, we do not use deception. We, we don't use, we've renounced secret and shameful ways. We don't have to pretend we don't have to act like Christians. We don't have to put up a front. We don't have to veil. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. We live transparent lives. Open book lives. This is who I am. This is what God's doing in my life. This is how he's changing me. Watch me change. Watch me change, and you'll see Jesus. All right, let's uh, let's talk about that for a while. What did I do with my clicker? Here it is. Um, what I what I'd like to do next is take you to a passage of scripture in the Old Testament that this whole passage in Second Corinthians is built on. All right, now I better turn it on. I want to go back to Exodus chapter 34, all right, verse 29. Exodus 34, 29. Um, this is the passage where Moses is up on Mount Sinai, do you remember that? Receiving the law. He um, has this extreme privilege. God calls him up, and is, he's actually in the presence of God. He, um, he's in a cloud that is, is shining. It, it's this splendid, radiant cloud that covers the presence of God. And he knows God is in the cloud, and he can hear God's voice, and he can sense his presence, but he wants to see God. And so he begs God, let me see your face. And God says, I can't do that because it'll kill you. It's, it'll be too much for you. <laughs> and and he, uh, he says, however... I totally understand and love your desire to know me that well. So I'll, what, I'll, 
when I come past you in the cloud, I will open the cloud and you will see the back of me. And that happened. And in that close encounter with God, his creator, his Lord, the sovereign Lord of the universe, Moses' face, his skin, was impregnated with Shekinah glory, the glory of God. And his face became radiant, and it didn't go away immediately. Let's look at the, the text and just see what, what actually happened. All right, This is chapter 34, beginning with verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, the Ten Commandments, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. He'd been so close to the Lord that God's glory had actually um, made a difference in, in what was going on with his face and his skin. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. It scared them. <laughs> they looked at him and they thought, goodness, it's like God himself. This, this is amazing. His face was like, it was radioactive. It, he glowed and it was so bright they couldn't look at him. It, it hurt their eyes. And so they're going like this and trying to get away from him. And he realizes he's got a problem. So what he did, he called them back and he spoke to them and he told them what God had given him, the, the message God had given them. And when Moses finished, verse 33, speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. Practical solution. Um, now at least we can talk. You can see my eyes, you can hear my voice, but you're not going to be intimidated by the full force of the radiance of God's glory that's reflected on my face. All right, so that, that was what he did. Whenever he entered the Lord's presence in the tent of meeting, he removed the veil until he came out. So he kind of got a fresh dose of radiation. Um, and then when he came out, he told the Israelites what he had been commanded or what God had said to him. And they saw that his face was radiant again. And then Moses would put the veil back over his face until, until he went in to speak to the Lord. Now that's what we know from the story from the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, gives us a glimpse into the fact that this glory faded. The story in Exodus doesn't tell us that. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says there was a radiant glory, but it faded. And now Moses, very human, very much like us, hides the fact behind the veil. He, at, one, at, at the beginning, the veil was there to protect people's eyes. As the glory faded, he kept the veil on, but this time it was to let, the, it was to fool the people, to hide from the fact that the glory was fading. Very human. But Paul uses that as an illustration of how the Old Testament system, the Old Testament law, had a glory that faded. And then he says, you and I, who are part of the new covenant, our sin, the veil of sin has been taken away at the cross, 
And we are now in a process of steadily increasing glory. They say, well, how real is that? That sounds like some kind of theological mumbo-jumbo. Um, really? Ever-increasing glory? And that's what the transformation process looks like? And should look like in our lives, in my life? What's that about? Well, let's unpack that a little bit. Is it possible for you to reflect Jesus more each day? Would you agree? Each week? Each month? Each year of your life? Should you be reflecting Jesus more this year than you did ten years ago? Five years ago? Okay. The tough question is, do you? And if you do, do other people see it? Do they know? So let's talk about this transformation process. Here's what veiling does. Veiling is about building a religious reputation, a religious performance, a religious appearance. So it's about pretense, appearances, hiddenness, secrets, deception, looking good. And a lot of Christianity is like that. There's a lot of people fight all the way to church in the car. Sunday, good clothes on, look good, get out of the car, suddenly they're smiling. How you doing, sister? How you doing, brother? Church is over, get back in the car, go right back to the conflict. The issue, whatever it was. All right, what did they do? They kept up appearances, right? They acted as if they had their act together. And that's one of the things that people coming into our church services think. They say, oh my goodness, look at all these nice people. And they're well-dressed and they're well-behaved and they're so nice. And they have no idea we don't have our act together. That there's lots of work for God to do in us yet. Because we act like we're doing well. And in fact, our brothers and sisters in Christ don't know the truth because we're veiling. We're covering up the fact that we got problems, that we got issues, that we've got room to grow. Transformation, true transformation invites unveiling. In other words, if, if you are truly being transformed, then you can let other people see it. All right? You, it's reality. It's authentic. It's open. It's, it's truthful. It's not just looking good, it's being good. This generation, I love this generation. I, I love the millennials. Um, the 20-somethings, 30-somethings, the teenagers today. Because, you know why? Because the kids today are saying, the young adults are saying, I don't want a religion that's just about looking good. I want a, I want a life that's really changing. I want to become what I could be, what I should be. I want to reach my potential in Jesus Christ. I want to be like Jesus. 
Not theologically, not positionally, really. And I love that about this generation. They're calling us, those of us who are older, back to real life change. And it's beautiful. Now, what kinds of changes should be unveiled? When I was... uh, when I was a boy, we had testimony services. Probably just remember we had Sunday evening services. Some of you are old enough to remember that. We had Wednesday evening services. Uh, Any time Christians got together, part of the agenda was sharing your story. So we called it testimony service, and people would talk about the changes God was making in their lives. And for the most part, what I heard as a boy growing up, and what I learned to do was to say. I used to, before Christ, I used to, you know, drink, drug, run around, party, chew, swear. Right? Isn't that what we heard heard in testimonies? All right. And when that kind of stuff got cleaned up, the person was transformed. Are you kidding me? That's so superficial. (laughs) That's so surface. It's a problem, and it should change, but that's not the deepest kind of change. It's not necessarily Christ-like. These are the kinds of things that should change. Selfishness should become self-giving. The arrows, instead of being sucked in, should be going out from my heart and my soul. Ego-centered. Every one of us in this room has an ego, right? Every one of us. And we do some really strange things in our egoism. Protecting ourselves and defending ourselves and asserting ourselves. Self-indulgent. Do we have a problem with that, Christians? Yeah. Can become self-disciplined in Jesus Christ. How about uh, takers becoming givers? In almost every marriage, maybe every marriage, one of the partners is a giver and the other is a taker. Now, it's, it's a matter of degree. It's not total taker, or, you know, total giver. It's, but somebody gives more than 51%. That's just the nature of marriage, of being harnessed with another human being. All right, should that be changing in Christ? Should takers be experiencing transformation in the power of the Spirit and become like Jesus and become a giver? Yeah, I think so. How about controlling people? One of the things that I ran into over the years is... uh, Pastors' kids and missionary kids and deacons' kids and elders' kids, Sunday school teachers' kids, choir directors' kids who are saying, I don't believe it. And when I unpacked it and went into their life story and listened, they were basically saying, You don't know my parents. My dad looks good, he's an incredible platform personality. But that's not who he is at home. That's not who he is with my mom. He's an angry, bitter man at home. He has a performance at church. My mom 
is a controlling, resentful, complaining woman at home. You'd never know that at church. And that's why it's so hard for me to believe that the Christian life is real. I don't see it changing the people in my life. I see them hardening into these things. So does Christ make a difference? That's what they would ask me. Is that real? Can you be transformed? I don't see it in my, my family. That's one of the things that is a miraculous miracle. A controlling person becoming an empowering person. A dominating, dominating, domineering person becoming submissive. Oh, I hit something wrong. There we go. person who thinks they're more right or their mind is better than others or they've got it all figured out at least better than other people do. Learning to operate in humility, gentleness, Kindness, patience. The competitive need to win, which is a, a particularly masculine problem. Um, I, remember, I remember my wife saying to me, Jan, I love it that you play with the boys. I had two sons, two years, uh, four years apart. I love to wrestle with them. I love to play games with them. I love to compete with them as they grew older. She would say to me, why do you always have to win? Because I'm a man. <laughs> I, I don't want them to think that I'm just letting them win. As long as I can win, I'm going to win because they're soon going to take over and they're going to beat me up. And they did, of course. I mean, by the time they were 14 years old, I learned not to wrestle with them anymore. It was a dumb thing to do. Got hurt. The competitive need to win, and by the way, this is both men and women have a problem with this. I gotta win. It's too much at stake if I lose. Gotta win. Which of those lists is the image of Jesus Christ? Which is the flesh? Which is the spirit? All right. Have you ever heard people in testimony meetings confessing to this list on the left? I've heard a few, maybe very rarely. I mean, since when do you hear a Christian say, I'm selfish? <laughs> or I'm a controlling person? Or, or I have a problem with dominating every discussion? Do you ever hear that? No. Why? Because we have learned to veil where we really are at the deep level. However, this is so wonderful and powerful when you unveil and you let people see the change process and they see how you are being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ because you're open with them and you're honest with them and you're actually telling them, watch me, look at me. I am absolutely committed to change. I will go out on a limb for the power and reputation of Jesus Christ. I will tell you what I need to change, where I need to change. So true ministry is based on personal transformation, not on what you know or how, you, how well you can teach it. One of the things about Pastor Van that I love is that he is real. He doesn't just have a lingo, a pastoral manner or language. 
It comes off of him naturally because of who he is becoming in Christ. He is ministering out of personal transformation, not just training or experience. You build what you are, not what you know or what you say. If you build what you are, then the, the ministry that you are, are building is much, much stronger. It isn't hollow. And it's powerful if you're really becoming like Jesus. So the most impressive ministry is this. You say to your family, you say to your friends, you say to your community, the people you work with, the people you go to school with, you say to your church family, watch me change. That's your personal ministry. And everyone in this room is capable of that kind of personal ministry. Watch me change. Watch me become like, like my Lord Jesus. Watch me grow in radiant glory into his image. Is it glorious when a selfish person becomes unself-centered? Is it glorious? It's beautiful. It's lovely. Is it glorious when a bitter, discouraged, resentful person becomes kind and gentle? That's oh, beautiful. Can that happen? Absolutely. We have the power of God in the person of the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. We have the Son of God as our leader and king. We can change. And Paul says, under the new covenant, this is normal. This is the way it works. You unveil and you let people see the change. And as you unveil, your life becomes a ministry of personal transformation. It's a wonderful thing. Now, practically, it's a hard thing for you to reveal yourself in a group like this. So Sunday morning is probably not the time that's going to happen. Although I have seen churches where it does work that way. I was in a church in Australia. The, the pastor was a Filipino, a relatively new Christian. About half the church were Filipinos. About a quarter of the church were Chinese immigrants to Australia. And the, another quarter were English um, descendants, Caucasians. About a third of every one of their services was a story time, a self-revelation time. And the people in the church would bear witness to the changes God was making in their lives. And they were the kind of that list that, that I showed you. And the rest of the congregation would start laughing and applauding and giving God glory and praise for the changes they were hearing about in the marriages and in the personal lives of their fellow church members. And I, I sat there and I was stunned. I, I didn't think you could do it in a large group. I think it's better done in a small group. I think one of the, the wonderful things about small groups of Christians meeting with other Christians in small groups is that you can self-reveal. And certainly in families, you can self-reveal. 
Children should be invited into their parents' transformation process. Dads should be able to hear the truth from their sons and daughters. Moms should be able to hear the truth. Not caustically, not nasty, not you are this, you are that, not name-calling, but mom, could I speak to you in private? Could I help you? And if the mom is wise, she will invite her daughter to do that. Or her son, the father, inviting his wife and his children to help with the transformation process. Because we have blind spots. We have things that are back. We talked about this at the men's retreat, where we, we just can't see them clearly. The stuff that we inherited from our parents. Stuff that are part of our personality. Stuff that we need help with. And that's why we need the gifts of the body. We need other people's eyes and, and hearts who love us. But the family is a good place to help each other, assist each other in transformation. Now I know that it's dangerous. I know that if you say, I'm selfish, I need to change, your family could hold you to it. But really, is your pride so great that you wouldn't let them? Don't you want to become like Jesus? Of course you do. So let other people into the equation. Small groups, families, is a good place to do it. So let's wrap this up. Application would be this. What changes have those who know you best seen recently? Um, What changes should have happened? What has the Holy Spirit been convicting you about? Maybe for years. Does the Holy Spirit help you with self-awareness? So that you actually know what your problems are? (laughs) Um, Claim God's power. Give the Holy Spirit fresh surrender in at least one area that you know needs transformation. If you're a stubborn man, admit you're a stubborn man. If you're a tightwad, Admit you're a tight one, that you're a taker, not a giver. I'm from a Dutch heritage. Um, we're known as tight wads. <laughs> Ethnically. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's funny, but there's some reality to it. If you want to get rid of Dutchmen, spread pennies on the freeway, you know. <laughs> so, there's a... Uh, There's a little-known fact that Dutchman actually invented copper wire. And it happened when when, uh, two Dutchmen were fighting over a penny. (laughs) Okay. There is something to it, however. As a group, Dutch people tend to be pretty stingy. Scots, too, you know, of course. Claim God's power in one area. Lord, I am, apart from Jesus, I'm selfish. I need to become unself-centered. I need to become others-centered. I need to serve where I take. Oh, Lord Jesus, change me. Can you hear the prayer of my heart in that, and the beauty of this kind of application to the text? Doesn't the text say this? Am I stretching it? 
Aren't we supposed to be living in ever-increasing splendor, being drawn into the image of Jesus? Didn't that say that today? This, I'm not making this stuff up. This is who we are. This is normal. And this is a tremendous ministry to the next generation. Our children and our children's children will buy our faith based on the demonstration of power. If God isn't powerful enough to change you, don't expect your children to believe it. It's not head stuff. It's heart stuff. It's change and transformation that is impressive and convincing to those who come after us. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I pray that each one in this room would take the conviction that I know you've been bringing through your word and by your spirit today. And Lord, would you help us change? We do want to be like Jesus. It is our intention. Help us not to procrastinate. Help us not to give way to fear of what other people will think if we actually admit where we need to grow. But Lord, I pray that this will be a church of dynamic, wonderful, godly transformation. Not just for a while, but Lord, may it gain momentum and may this church be known as the place where you meet and fellowship with people who live like Jesus. And may the radiant glory spread to this community. Unveil this church, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, thank you, Jan, for forcing us to think a little bit, both at our men's retreat all weekend and then again this morning, that our salvation in Christ is more than just a ticket to heaven in our hip pocket. But it is the beginning of a whole new process that if any man be in Christ is a new creation and the old is fading away and the new is taking short shape and form and that uh, we are growing in the glory of Christ. And I trust that the Holy Spirit will use some part of the message today to challenge your thinking and that you'll continue to ponder these things. Um, I never really thought, I guess, of my ministry as being that of demonstrating transformation in my own life. My full-time job is to just be transforming. That only happens as I interact with the body, as I interface with the Word of God, and as the Spirit of God takes the Word of God to conform me to the will of God. Amen? Well, the Lord bless you. If you would like some more of Jan's teaching, um, he has written a book, and some of this material he did at the men's retreat. It's entitled, The Safe King, Finding in Jesus the Leader You Can Trust. It's a $15 book. You can get it at Amazon. You can get it electronically. I think you can get it on uh, CD where Jan's reading it. Not this one. That's your other book. Um, there's uh, a dozen or so copies, I think, back on a table. There are 15. If you want to write a check, if you'd like a book, write a check to Fellowship Bible Church. Leave it back on the table. There's an envelope there. If you don't have money with you to purchase a book and you really would like to take it, you may write like a yellow card, write an IOU for the book with your name on it and leave it in the envelope. And then next week, bring the money. That'll be fine. Um, but you may find his book, The Safe King, uh, Finding in Jesus, the Leader You Can Trust, helpful as well. Jan, it's been good to have you here this weekend. Uh, the Lord bless you as you go back to Charm in the fifth wheel camper. We've got 
tomorrow. He's going to be meeting with our staff and helping us think through the church planting, church renewal matters. Don't forget to pray for us on those areas. Let's stand together. And as we go out and begin a new week, let's just trust the Lord to guide us and direct us and give us strength for another week. Father, it's been good to be together. And we just thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he's done for us and for your word that gives direction to us and your church that is a strengthening agent in an area where we work together in the transformation process of becoming like Christ. Father, as we go, we ask for your blessing. We ask for your blessing on this week. Help us to live it well. Help us to be humble in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen.